We're going to finish our series on discipleship and talking about um, how we fit into different environments and the story that we have in our life. Um, But before we do that, I want to give you a quick review. So the first week, the first week was about the gospel. You got to start there. You have to start with the gospel, the good news. And we said that the gospel is not just about salvation, that it's ultimately about God's kingdom that has come down to earth and is present right now. And it's the gospel is this proclamation and an invitation to each and every one of us into that kingdom. And that means he wants us to partner with him. He's like, come join me in what I'm doing. And I want you to be part of this mission of bringing shalom and peace and prosperity and, and, and uh, bringing order out of the chaos that's in our world. And there's a lot of chaos in our world. And so the good news needs to be good. And there's no better good news than the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. So the second week, we moved from the gospel and we started looking at the idea of how we are all made in God's image. We are all made in God's image. And each of us has this unique set of attributes that convey a part of who God is. So there's a part, there's a part of this discipleship uh, process where we have to figure out what's that thing that God has put in you and then we have to draw it out of each other so that we can then use it in our church for his kingdom purposes, okay? One of my uh, favorite statements, uh, uh, Proverbs about that says, the intentions of a man are like deep waters, but a wise person can draw it out. So there's things that are within us and we need wise people in our church to pull that potential out of you, to, to see and identify what it is and then go, okay, we need you to do that. We need you to use that. We think God gave you that thing that's unique to you so that we can see that part of God working in our midst. And then the third week, we looked at community. So a gospel, the image of God in you, and then we looked at community. Because we said that even though you have this unique thing, this piece of the puzzle of who God is that he's given you, this thing that he wants to use, it's together when we're all doing that that we experience God in his fullness. In his fullness, when all of us are doing that. Not just when one of us is doing that or when just a few of us are doing that. But we are built like a temple, is what we explored. We explored God's temple and the purposes of that. Each of us is a living stone in that temple. And when we build that temple together, we function properly. We are a community that works together. And then when we are all doing that together, we we can see God more fully. Not just a part of him, but all of him. And then the fourth week, we talked about being people of the text. And I said, yeah, there's actually this thing that you have probably sitting on your shelf or on your bedside table or on a coffee table that you don't pick up every day, but you might want to try. And it's called the scriptures. <laughs> it's your Bible. And you want, to, you want to grab that and you want to open it up and you want to see what God has to say because the scriptures are actually the very words of God. And we want to be people of the text. And we want to know it, but we want to not only know it, we want to do it to know his paths and walk in them. And we combine those together to come up with kind of a definition of what spiritual maturity is. So spiritually mature person is someone who knows who they are. They express the image of God within community by the thing that he has put in them. And then they walk together passionately in his text. So then last week we did a really long teaching on looking at the premier discipleship maker, the premier disciple maker in the New Testament. Anybody guesses who that is? Who's the premier disciple maker? This is your Sunday school answer. Yes, it's Jesus, okay? Jesus is the premier discipleship disciple maker. And 
we watched him leading Peter through these little vignettes in his life going, okay, here's who, you don't know who you are. I'm calling you out. I, I see this potential in you. Despite all your failings, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to believe in you. Don't doubt yourself because I don't doubt you. And it just creates this really beautiful narrative that translates really well into our own lives because we've all messed up, but he still doesn't give up on us. He uses our failures and he leverages them. And we get to see Peter's success as we, as we looked at that story. And this week we're going to look at our story and how it fits into where we head next, okay? First, we're going to start really broad and look at kind of the community as a whole, like what we're doing right now. And then we're going to zero in on, on a very specific thing. But when it comes to discipleship, you want people who are walking alongside you. That's where we ended last week. Jesus is walking alongside Peter, never letting him go for probably just over three years through the ups and downs and the, doubt, the doubts that he has and the mistakes that he makes. And he's just saying, I'm, I'm going to be with you. I, I believe that you can be this person. I see this thing deeply in you. And we need someone like that too. And that someone is not just going to be Jesus, but it's going to be Jesus in you helping someone else become more like Jesus. So if you looked around the room, you go, okay, there's someone in here who can help me, someone who's further along, and there's someone probably who's not quite as far along as me that I need to help along as well, and that's part of the process. If you imagine it like this, you can envision a mountain where maybe you're in the middle and there's a rope attached to your waist and there's someone further up who knows, has a little more skill or a little more stamina or a little more strength or a little bit more knowledge or they've done this before on this particular mountain and they are, they're attached to you by a rope and they're pulling you up right? But there's also a rope coming behind you down the mountain, and it's tied to another person's waist, and you're doing the same thing for them. And we're all on a long line heading up this mountain together of discipleship, okay? So we need to be there and make this person who's going to be there for you and make an, not just make an appearance in your life and not just be there when times are good, but when times are bad. And so we're going to talk about kinfolk. We're going to talk about people who can come alongside you like a family. And when you get together, it's like a family reunion, and it's family through community to be in a place where, to get to the place where you look around in your room and I, I can't imagine doing life without these people. If you can imagine doing life without these people, then, then something's not right. Then it's either they haven't invested in you or you haven't given them a chance or something like that. And we need to be honest about that because you want to get to the place where you can't imagine doing life with, without them. And it's almost like they know too much about you. And I know that's kind of scary and makes you feel vulnerable. But we all have a piece of God's image. And community is a big deal. When people experience, when they first come to a church, it's not just, it's not just what happens up here on the stage. It's what they experience with you individually. And, it, and that's a crucial thing. But it's just the beginning. See, God calls us not to just have a nice welcoming lobby and a nice welcoming space to meet in where people can come and try us out, but it's not going to work until they know that you're authentic and you, you're inviting them into your life and where you're going to be real and vulnerable with them, where they can be accepted and it's safe, all right? Jesus, if you look on the front of your program, the, the main scripture I put on there is from a very famous, almost the most famous, right after For God So Loved the World, John 3.16. This is the, probably the me most next famous statement where he says, I, I want you to make disciples. I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. All right? Um, 
We translate that word to go in Matthew 28, 18, and 20. We tra- you just read it in your scriptures. It says to go, right? But it's really to participate because it's a participle in the Greek, which is my dad's here visiting, so a former English teacher, so I had to put the participle thing in there, okay? Um, he's giving me the thumbs up. Um, but um, it's a participle, and that means it's as you are going, as you are going, I want you to constantly be making disciples. And it's a command. And it's not just for me, and it's not just for other staff at the church, and it's not just for the elders. It's if you have given your life to Jesus, if you count yourself one of his followers, whether, you're, whether you think you're a great follower or you think you're like, I'm a terrible follower, I feel like Peter all the time when he betrayed Jesus, whatever that is in your life, doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, there's something in you. You have the potential to be like me. I believe in you. And my command to you is, as you are going throughout life about the business that you do, you will constantly, all the time, be making disciples. The problem is, is that it's likely, in my experience, for even if you've been in church for a while, that you probably have not been equipped. So you don't feel like you can do that. And that is something, my friends, that we will be remedying. We will be remedying that as a church. We want to equip each other so that you can understand your role, you can understand what that thing is that God's put in you, and that we can do this together as a community, okay? That statement in Matthew 20, 18, 18 through 20 is directed at all believers, okay, that we are constantly working on making disciples. Now, I want to talk about the environments in which that takes place. This, what you're doing, what you're participating in right now, is one of those environments. It's like the first environment, okay? It's like, it's like when Jesus, if you think about all the stories where he's drawing big crowds, and he's speaking about the good news of the kingdom, and there's all of these people there, and there's all, there's, uh, this is where Jesus starts doing all of this teaching, and everybody is hearing it, and from that, he is pulling people out to join him on his way in the kingdom. And he's teaching them the text and explaining it. It's big group. It's Sunday morning. It's large crowds at his feet. It's people that need to be fed because they, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And they are talking back to him at some point. They are saying, oh, we don't get this. Explain this. We need to hear more about this. And you can look all of those things up. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But this is environment one. And what you need to know about environment one is that it's just the Sunday morning thing. That's just the beginning. It is literally just the beginning. And if you stop here, and this is all you do, all you participate in, and you don't go to the things that are going to equip you to participate in the next environments that come, then you, you, you will just kind of stay here and you'll wonder why you aren't growing. This is why, and I'll touch on this again later, it's why over the 20 years I've been in ministry, people come to me and say, I just don't feel like I'm fed. Yeah, because it doesn't all happen right here. You do know that when people, like there's many different learning styles, right? Auditory listening is only one part of that, right? We've talked about this before. That means you're going to learn the information and retain it when someone's speaking to you, right? But there's a reason why, uh, in, w- when I'm looking back out at you, m- some of you look glazed over. 
or you're nodding off. Well, there's several reasons for that. I'm just going to, some of you told me, it's not you, it's me. I just got off work or whatever, you know. Um, that's fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go deal with my own feelings about that later. But, but um, only, you know how much is retained by people who are actually auditory learners? is only 7%. The, the, the true auditory learner is the person who comes to an event like this or comes to a TED Talk, and then they leave that place, and they go to lunch, and they go throughout their day, and they go to dinner, and the whole time, whoever they're with, they're still talking about what they learned because it's all in there. That's a true auditory learner. Is that you? Probably not, because only 7% of us are that, are, are that way. And so that's why I'll do different things, like try and show you things or put pictures on the screen. But it's why environment one has its limitations. We have to do other environments as well, okay? So this environment is just the start. This is what discipleship looks like, learning to be like Jesus so you can do the things that he did at the macro level. This is at the macro level, and you're going to have to dig deeper if you want to grow. And it is on you, not fully, but it is on you to want to participate, okay? Now, what we want to do is zero in on the Kimfolk group a little bit. Kimfolk group is something that we set up this last year. It's an intentional environment where we're trying to foster a community of sharing and doing life together. It will even lead to some of you expressing your struggles and your sins in your lives. It, it can lead to also saying, guys, I have something to celebrate. There's the good and the bad and the beautiful and the ugly and it's a group that passionately is all about working and walking alongside each other so that we can grow and lift each other up. And this does not happen right away. It doesn't happen over uh, just like in an instant. It takes time. You can't microwave discipleship. You can't go, okay, I'm just going to set that for a minute, and boom, oh, I just feel like I leveled up in my spirituality. It takes time. Studies show us, show us that you have to spend about 200 hours to actually with someone else to actually, like one-on-one, 200 hours to actually feel like you are a good friend with somebody, like a solid friend. That that takes some intentionality, right? That's not just in this group setting. That's like you have to to really be intentional about other times that you're going to be with people, all right? And so it, it takes intentionality. And if you're like me as an analytic, you're like, okay, just come to a Kimfrel group. That sounds kind of too simplistic, but it works. It works. I mean, our master, the master discipler, Jesus, he's like, I'm going to call all these people together for this large group stuff. Out of the large group stuff, I'm going to call a a, a smaller group that's also pretty big. And then out of that other big group, I'm going to call like these 12 guys, right? And out of those 12 guys, he's got his three favorites, Peter, James, and John, right? And out of the three guys, he's got one other, he's got the beloved disciple, John, and he is very intentional. And you were like, you want to ask if Jesus plays favorites? Yes, he does. And it's a strategy for discipling others, for building up leaders who are equipped to walk in, in his ways, to know what he does and, and live it out and do it. Okay? So Sundays are where you can come and listen and take notes and hang out a little bit. But kinfolk groups are where you can get down to real life. You can get down to real life. You can ask questions. You can be like, hey, that sermon, Worth said something really weird. Let's talk about that a little bit more. I, was, I didn't like that, that he said. That made me feel uncomfortable. And someone's going to be like, why do you feel uncomfortable? Or like, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's still go back to the scripture that he talked about. Or 
You know, you might be talking about something else, like I read this this week, or this happened to me this week, or whatever. It's intentional about building life around others throughout the week. It's why we end our sermon, our, our time, uh, with our benediction each week, and we say, hey, see you throughout the week. That's not just a little trite mantra that we're like, hey, maybe I'll see you. It's more like, hey, let's be intentional about building time into our week to be together, okay? So that we can care for one another. And that is a key point, to care for one another. Because let's be honest, in our day and age, if all of this on a Sunday morning, all of this that we do, it in terms of giving the good news to other people and letting it take root in their life, this time does not matter It does not matter until we care for each other and until we care for everyone else who walks through the door who's new. And we're like, we want to care for you. It doesn't matter unless we do that. Okay? People who are looking for authenticity from us, that we are actually living this thing out and trying to be like Jesus, that's going to matter. And it's only going to be conveyed to to the new person if we are intentional about inviting them into our lives. Okay? Okay? And that only happens at the deepest level if we're going to get into some smaller groups together on purpose. And it's only in these small groups, in these kinfolk groups, where you can do life together and discuss real things that matter. Because you know, I have like a thousand conversations with each one of you on a Sunday. And they're like right here on the surface. They're right here on the surface. And, and some of you have been on the other side of that for me. You ask me something deeper. And I'll say to you, and you're expecting, let's talk about this now. And I'm like, no. That is going to be, you You need to make intentional time with me during the week to have that deeper conversation. And then, you're, and then some of you, you don't do it because you're like, wait, okay, that's, he's serious, <laughs> you know. And then some of you are like, yeah, I'm all in. I really need this. I'm ready for that, you know. And I'm hoping that more and more and more of us are ready for that. So I just said you see that, in the, you see this intentionality of diving deep into each other's lives in the very life of Jesus. We talked about it last week and all the vignettes that we talked about in Peter's life. But he's also doing this. We don't have... John says at the end of his book, there, if we were to write down everything that there was that Jesus said and did, it would fill volumes, right? So we just got these little pictures of what's going on in his life. Just these little snapshots. And the one that gets the most attention, though, is Peter and James and John. They get the most attention. And then later, Paul in the book of Acts and, and his letters, but there's all these other guys that he's sitting down with, doing life with intentionally. And they are all his disciples. And that's what, they have that group. In, in, uh, in Luke 10, he sends out, in case you thought it was just the 12, he's, there's a larger group that's traveling around with him. Some scholars think it's like maybe a few hundred people men, women, and children, and they're all leveraging their resources, because if you wondered how Jesus got around and actually paid for anything and, like, ate food and had a place to sleep, how did he do that if he didn't have a place to lay his head or a place to call home, right? He's got all these people leveraging their resources so that the group can go around and grow and do the ministry of Jesus and learn from him, okay? At one point in Luke 10, he sends out 72 of his disciples, and I love this. In in Luke 10, it talks about how he sent them out in pairs, two by two, to all of the towns and places that he had planned to go himself in the future. In case you think he's just kind of (laughs) like, bored, okay, let's go to Caesarea today. That's like a 20-mile hike. 
Okay, I got them there. Where do I go next? Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go over, you know, down to Jericho or something like that, you know. And he's just making it up as he goes. This verse tells us that he's like, I've got a plan. I want to go to this town and this town and this town and this place and this place. Like in that town, there's this guy, Zacchaeus. I am going to his house today, (laughs) you know. And there's this other guy in this town that I'm going to meet. And there's a restaurant over here that I'm going to go to. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go hang out with these tanners over here. And then the guy who's making the wine over there because there's going to be a party at a wedding. And I need, we're going to, I'm going to do this thing. You know, he's got a plan. And he's taking these people with him. And what's more than that, he says to these people in Luke 10, 72 of you. Can you do the math? How many is that in groups of two? How many groups is that? 36 groups, okay? All going out to all the places that he's going to go to. They are preparing the way for him to arrive, to say, hey, guess what? Our master's coming. He's coming. Can we give you a little precursor to his teaching? Can we give you a little bit about what he's all about? And he's sending them out along their way. And he he specifically says, you know, I want you to look for people of peace who are open to this, you know, And those are going to be the people that are going to join up with this larger crew. And they're going to be part of this group that knows each other deeply. A church, if you will. Okay? We see this in smaller clusters as well. If you fast forward to Acts chapter 2, go to verse 42 is where it starts. Um, It's the famous verse where they're sharing everything and they're selling possessions and all that kind of stuff. And um, the church is growing by leaps and bounds. But it says this in verse 46. The believers shared a common purpose. And every day they they spent much of their time together. Every day they spent much of their time together in the temple area. And they also ate with each other in their homes. And it's all couched in the same phrase. Every day, they spent much of their time together in the temple and in each other's homes. Now, in our culture, that would be a little weird if every single day, we're like, every single day, you come here. And then and we're going to like start in the morning, and then in the evening, we're all going to split up and go to each other's houses to eat dinner. Every single day. All the introverts in, inside just cried a little bit inside right now. Um, but... It says that because of that, they, they praised God and they were, they were respected. They were respected by all the people. There seems to be something about the authenticity of doing life together on purpose in a large group setting and in a small group setting and being intentional about being like your master that earns the respect of all the people. When's the last time you heard somebody in Seattle giving respect to Christians? Well, is it all on them? Or do we have a part to play in that? We have a part to play in that, okay? It takes some very serious intentionality. And kinfolk groups can cultivate discipleship that leads to that type of life and action together that it makes a statement, okay? A kinfolk group, a small group, that's where you put some skin in the game. That's where you put some skin in the game, Okay? It's where we practice our values, our first three values. Be like Jesus. Do this together for the sake of others. 
okay? The do this together and for the sake of others really comes into its fruition when you're part of a kinfolk group, okay? You know this already. I, I don't, I'm not patronizing you. You know all this. You know it, but will you do it? Will you do it, all right? Church, you know this. You've heard this till the cows come home, okay? Church isn't just this. It isn't just inside these walls. Church doesn't exist just right here. We are the church, and we are a community, and our community spans outside of these walls. And even though we started Kimfolk groups for the first time this last February, we only started them this last February, they are the first and foremost environment that we are pushing as a church that we've set up where relationship and community can happen. And it's not always pretty, and there are issues, and there can even be fights and arguments, and there are hard moments, and there are boring moments. Yeah? Okay? You with me? It's not always pretty. And there are awkward silences sometimes. That's life! That is so much life, right? You give me, cut me a break here. You go on a date or you go to dinner with your spouse if you've been married for like a year, all right? And you, get, you go on a date and you're like, what do we talk about? Awkward silence. You start commenting about other things. Same thing, kinfolk group. It's life, but you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna dive deeper, okay? And it's going to be on purpose. It's a commitment, okay? We're, we've set these up on purpose so that you can live life together and you can commit to one another to be there for each other, to be like a family. And it's, I mean, you know what? Some of you are passive-aggressive, too. You can get that in your game. You're like, are you really trying to sell this? No, I'm trying to be real with you. Because you know this. You know this is why maybe you haven't joined one, right? Sometimes there are kinfolk nights that just, group nights that just bomb. I've been a part of those <laughs> big time where we just have to stop everything we're doing and go, okay, this isn't working. Let's just pray. We're going to come back together next week, you know. Now, thankfully, that hasn't happened here yet. Uh, but I'm talking about in the past and other ministries I've I've been a part of. We need to do life together. And God invites us to become a part of a deeper community. We see that in his life, in the life of Jesus. And it's where he is vulnerable with these guys. And they are vulnerable with him. Where they are teaching us that this type of structure is where you can really be who you really are and not be afraid. But I, I'll be honest with you. In discipleship, that is one of the hardest points. That is one of the hardest points to be vulnerable with others and not be afraid. The willingness to be seen for who you are, not for your achievements, not for your successes, but for what's really, really going on in your life. And that, I gotta be honest with you, that's the part, just like you, I'm gonna put this on you and me, that's the part that terrifies me. And I see by all of your looks and expressions, it terrifies you too. And, and that's okay, because we're all in this together. It terrifies all of us to actually be that real. Here's the thing, Jesus is like, I know you're real. Think back to that story. I kn think back to that story of him, all the little vignettes of him walking alongside Peter. And he's like, I know you. I know you, and it's okay. I know you, and it's okay. It's, it's going to be all right. I know you're even going to do this in the future, and it's not going to be good. 
but I still love you. And that's the kind of love he modeled for us, and that's the kind of love we have to model for each other. That relationship where someone really knows you, because that is where transformation happens. You cannot expect, you can, but it would be an erroneous expectation. You cannot expect to just come to church, do the download of information, and then have your life be transformed. It, It doesn't work like that. That's not what we see in Scripture. It doesn't work like that. The transformation comes when people are intentional about being around each other, about being around people who are trying to be more like Jesus. Our culture thinks that spending time in here for the macro level of discipleship and getting together in the other small group for something deeper, and it's kind of seeped into us as Christians as well. It's like, this is not valuable. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't, I need to be strong by myself. You know, I, I need to read a bunch of books and I'm going to take what I learned and that's going to help me. Um, and it's not a current problem. It's been going on for decades. It's been going on for centuries. Maybe this applies to you. People think they can go off on their own and become like Jesus. So they might come to church or join up with the church uh, once a month or every six weeks or four times a year or one time a year or whatever. And we've talked about this before. They'll say that church, it, my church is out here. No, when you're by yourself, that's not church. Literally, there is no word for a singular Christian in the Bible. It's always Christians, plural. If you're by yourself, it's not okay, is what God is getting at. He is a triune God, after all, right? So, I love this story of uh, D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody. Anybody heard of Dwight L. Moody, who's a really strong uh, pastor, who the, the, the Moody Institute in Chicago is named after him. My brother graduated from that school. Um, he was visiting a really... Pro- so if you know anything about Dwight L. Moody, he was highly respected uh, pastor by, by a bunch of different officials and people in the secular world. Totally not what really happens today <laughs> for pastors, but he's like, he's meeting with all these people in the community who have a lot of power and influence, um, who have a lot of money, they, businessmen, politicians, that kind of stuff. He's meeting with a really well-known, prominent guy, and there's, the conversation as, uh, that they were talking about took a turn at one point, and it, and it started talking about being involved in church. So he's sitting there talking with this really well-known leader in the community, and he's talking about being involved in church. And here's what the man said. He said, Dwight, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be in it. Right? I, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be in it. And what he was saying was, I don't have to be there all the time. You need to excuse me. I don't need to be involved in the group like you think I do. It's just not that important. I could be a disciple on my own. Here's what Dwight did. It's wintertime. It's freezing outside. There's a fire. And in the grate, there's a bunch of coals. And he walks over to it and he says, come over here. He doesn't say anything else. And he takes the tongs and he takes the coal. Takes one coal out. Puts it on the hearth. And he sits down and starts to watch it. And they sat there for a long time and they watched that coal burn out. 
And the man said, I get it. I get it. You cannot, you cannot be like Jesus by yourself. It does not work that way. It does not work that way. You will burn out. You will be snuffed out. Jesus came to start a movement of people who are ushering in his way, his kingdom, who know how to invest in one another, who can equip each other, pull each other up that mountain and give you the skill sets that you don't need and work on the character of Christ that you don't have yet and equip you in those ways. And then those people invested in other people. And then those people invested in other people. You and I are able to sit here in this room today because of that. Because someone came before us, someone came before us and called out someone else's potential and invested the gospel into them and invited them to be a part of God's kingdom and continue that process on and on for generations. For generations, someone upheld the mantle of discipleship, of becoming like Jesus, and they passed that on to someone else And you all have the privilege of holding that mantle right now, today. You have the privilege of holding on to it. It's not just my job. You all have the privilege of holding that mantle of discipleship. And so... There's this macro level, and then there's this kinful group level, and it goes even further, and we don't, we don't have time to talk about that today. The group of three that Jesus had, and the group of one, one-on-one that he had with John and just himself, those are areas that we need to explore as a church as well. But I do want to talk about one other area that gets left out, and I'm very much doing this on purpose, and you'll see why. But it's an area that when we talk about discipleship, it doesn't get talked about a whole lot. It's, it, we've all been a part of it, hopefully, where we can have community with one another and, and accept one another, even with our issues and our messes. What I'm talking about is us with our kids. You might be saying, well, my kids, my kids are all grown or whatever. doesn't matter. Us and our kids. If your kids are going to grow up and know Jesus then you will have to be responsible for that. You will have to hold up that mantle. You will have to show them, not just tell them, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Who is the best discipler of your kids? You. You are. Or your grandkids. Or your nieces and nephews. You are. Okay? I'm reminded of that verse in Deuteronomy 6 that says to parents, you know, you need to teach your kids to walk in the way of the Lord. It's passed on from generation to generation to be modeled for them. And it doesn't just happen because you put your kids in Sunday school. Whatever church, we call ours Kid City. Every church has got a name for their Sunday school now. It's Sunday school, right? Sunday school is a fancy word for we want our kids to know what Jesus did, Right? 
But the word school betrays what the purpose is. Like, we don't want them to just know facts. We want them to be able to do what Jesus did. Right? And it doesn't just happen in Sunday school. Sunday school helps, but modeling it for them is essential. And this may be harder for some of you than for others because some of you, maybe you weren't, maybe it was never modeled for you growing up. You know? But it's like anything else. It's like if you, if you, uh, maybe this didn't happen for you. I'm struggling through it right now. When my kid comes home, when Isaiah comes home with homework, the teachers give you homework and they tell you what to do, right? But they very rarely tell the kid how to knuckle down and have the discipline and put away the distractions and focus on here is how you do this homework. Here is how you do this problem. Get what I'm saying? So I have to sit down. Isaiah, he knows what to do. He knows how to work the math problem. But to sit down and actually make the time, and, and if he doesn't know how to do it, to know how to ask and that it's okay to ask, and to then show him how to do the problem, which is becoming already in fourth grade almost impossible for me, you know, um, the new math, i got to tell you, oh my gosh, the way they teach it now. Have you anybody seen Incredibles 2 yet? And he's like, the math? Oh, you have to stay up all night to do it. But it's about becoming intentional with that, right? How intentional was someone with you when you were growing up to do that type of study and knowledge and, and get your hands on learning with following Jesus? Because that's what it's going to take. It's not going to just take Sunday school and putting your kid in a class. It's going to take, how do you do it when you're at home? All right? And we want to equip you with the tools. If you're a parent in here with kids, we want to equip you with the tools to know how to do that. We're very intentional about that. And I will just say this. We, we have a meeting after church that's short and sweet and to the point about what we're doing in our kids' ministry and in our middle school ministry and how we want to equip you and what we're sending home for you to do and giving you the stuff that you need, okay? And even more than that, even more good news to come. So if, if you are a parent, we would, we would hope that you would come to that. It's the, same, it's the same thing with discipleship when it comes to that homework type of analogy. We need to be transparent with our kids and tell them, well, Isaiah, I don't know how to do this problem, but I'll work on it with you. Gwen, I don't know the answer to your question about Jesus and why people do this and that and blah, blah, blah. Let's work on that together, you know? We have to be transparent about our lives. Well, no, I didn't always live that way. And I made all these mistakes. And even after I knew Jesus, I did this and this and this. And no, it wasn't right. But I'm working on it. They're gonna, if you don't tell them that, they're gonna figure out, they're gonna figure it out anyway. <laughs> right? And it's not gonna be good. We want to equip you to, to, to learn how to have those conversations with your kids so that you can take them on this journey of making mistakes and messing up and it's going to be okay, just like it was with Peter. It's going to be okay. The more human you can make yourself in your kids' eyes, the more human we can make ourselves in each other's eyes. That's a good thing. Good things are going to happen for us when we do that. With our kids, they're going to respect you much more for it. They're going to be like, okay, mom and dad told me they messed up and did all this stuff when they were in college and high school, so I can tell them, too. They've been honest and open and transparent with me. The family unit, in other words, is the most natural place for 
where discipleship is to happen. I don't know about you, but I would have loved it if when I was young, it would have been more intentional for someone to teach me the text and walk me through it. I would have loved that. Even if you don't have kids, I will say this, you can still be a part of it. You can still be a part of it. All of the kids here in our church are watching you. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's all right to giggle and have a little nervous laugh there. All the kids in our church are watching you. They're not just watching their mom and dad. They're wondering, why are these people here? What are they doing here? What are they living for? This whole Jesus thing, are they living it out? You know, they're going to look to you. And our job as the ones who hold that mantle, who have become before them, is to show them the way, to model Jesus for them. You can come here and sit here in this room on a Sunday morning and not get to know them. And you would be worse off for that. And they will see that, and they will wonder what that's all about. You know? They will see that. Each Sunday morning, there are a group of kids here, and I will tell you this, my kids are here. My kids are here. Okay? And they show up here every Sunday morning, and they could use some people to love them and to speak the truth of God into their lives and to teach them. Every Sunday morning, there's a group of middle school students here who are dying for the same thing, for someone to love them and pull them underneath their wing to, to tell them, it's okay, you don't have to pretend to have life all figured out. <laughs> you know? Um, they would love to know that they still matter. And that just because they don't measure up to the standards of the world, and what it looks like to be cool or whatever, or popular, that they are still okay and they are loved and they are accepted and they have a ton of potential a ton of potential. You can be a part of that. It's funny. Many people have come to me over the years and told me that they aren't growing, like I told you before. They say, I'm just not being fed. Um, And when they tell me stuff like this, they look a little bit surprised when I say, well, are you serving? Are you serving? Are you serving? And almost all of them are like, no, I'm not serving. The rare exception was, I'm serving, but I'm kind of If I'm honest with you, I'm not really into it and I'm doing something I don't really want to do or whatever. But I ask them if they're they're serving. They always look surprised when I ask them that. It's like nobody ever taught them that if you want to grow, you need to teach others. You need to be there for others. You need to serve others. That's how you're going to grow. If it's all about what you can take and what it's given for you, then eventually, yeah, you're not going to be fed. Because at some point you have to learn how to feed yourself. That's what discipleship is, right? You walk around, you walk around the discipleship square with Jesus and he's basically like, listen, I'm going to do this and you're going to watch me. I'm going to do this and you're going to help me. You're going to do this and I'm going to help you. Now you're going to do this and I'm going to step back and watch. You got, like, I gave you the tools. You should know how to feed yourself. That's, that's my, Nice way of saying, stop playing the blame game. And don't put up with it from other Christians who say that. It's led to our whole church shopper society where no one ever really plugs in and they just fly under the radar. Okay? That can't fly anymore, the way our culture has gone. That cannot fly. 
It cannot fly. We need fully committed people who know how to feed themselves and can feed each other and equip one another and can equip our kids and can watch our kids. I mean, for goodness sakes, Ava, if you can't serve, if Ava's in the back serving you, running our sound and audiovisual board. Yay! This is me being passive-aggressive with all of you. Okay? Can you serve them? <laughs> you know? Uh, we can learn a lot from our friends in recovery about this. Twelve Steps. I love the point Simon Sinek relates in his book. Um, if you haven't read any Simon Sinek, you need to read some Simon Sinek, and you need to go look up his uh, YouTube TED Talk on uh, the power of why. Um, but he has a book he, he wrote called Leaders Eat Last. Leaders eat last. <laughs> I would wager, you know, disciples eat last. I read everything kind of through that Christian pastor lens, of course, right? And he relates this story. He says, it starts like this. You want to know the whole secret to AA, to Alcoholics Anonymous? John, a recovering alcoholic, asked me, you want to know who actually gets sober and who doesn't? Few, if any of the alcoholics enrolled in AA will find sobriety until they complete step 12. Until they complete step 12. Even if they make it through all the other 11 steps, those who do not complete step 12 are very likely to drink again. It is those who complete step 12 who overcome the addiction. Step 12 is the commitment to help another alcoholic beat the disease. Step 12 is all about service. Step 12 is all about service, and I mean real service to a real, living, knowable human being. That's how he relates it in his book. Real, living service to a, a, a knowable human being who is alive. <laughs> you want to grow. If you want to be spiritually formed, if you want to grow in Christ and not ever say to anyone else, I just don't feel like I'm being fed. Start to serve. Here's the deal. We've been talking about discipleship for six weeks and you can make this whole discipleship process just a theory. It sounds nice. It's all up here. It's just a theory. But it's a completely different thing to walk it out and live it out. Maybe one day, maybe today, maybe today, instead of just being the recipient, you can step out into that where you can be a person who is walking life with someone else. You can write your name on a card and say, I want to be in a kinfolk group. Someone else can call it your potential or you can call someone else's potential out and start playing a greater role in this community and to teach God's text to someone else. So I have a very direct two-fold challenge to all of you. Okay, Two things. Number one, will you take the initiative to join a kinfolk group? Will you take the initiative to do that? And if you will, take your connection card, fill it out, put it in the box. I will contact you. I will contact you. Get you hooked up with whatever you need to do to be in a kinfolk group. Or you go online, 
It's a very simple form that just has a few things and says, I want to be a part of one. I get that form. And I will help you be accountable to the decision that you're making today. Number two, will you take the initiative? Will you take the initiative to serve and disciple our kids and youth? Will you do it? They need you to be there for them. They need you. I mean, I've even thought, this is just spitballing here, what if you just took one day a month and all of us took one day a month? Super easy. Don't tell me I missed the sermon, okay? There's, there's people who've been missing the sermon over and over again for months, and they listen to it online, and they come in here for communion, okay? To be active and engaged with them because they need you. Fill out the form, write it down, do it online, whatever. Come to the meeting today, and we'll tell you what we're up to. Come on over and see Make a choice to be a part of the team. If you're a parent, be there so you know what's going on. We do have some exciting news to share with you. And if you come to the meeting, you get to hear it first. If you don't, too bad. Okay? Lastly, maybe you are one of these people who is just, you need to get in. You need to get into this. You have not made a commitment to Christ before. You do not. You sense his love for you, but you haven't done this yet and you've just been content with darkening the door of a church and coming every once in a while because you're a little bit curious or interested or you had or you grew up in church and you were a long and you've been a long way far way off for a long time and you're like I don't know how to do this thing again my my challenge to you is to come talk with me after church after this worship service is over I will be at the top of the steps waiting for you out in the lobby if that's not you, don't come talk to me because I'm going to be talking to someone else who needs that, okay? Um, you want to step into this way of knowing Jesus? We are very serious about all of that here at our church. I seriously don't know a better time or moment or day than right now, if that's you. I don't know a better time than the present. So my direct call is to you, for you to come find me, and I want to talk to you about that. We are now going to enter into our communion time. Someone asked the band to come and John to come on up here. But I'd ask you to wrestle with where you are in this discipleship process. Are you just stuck in environment number one? Because that can be a rut. Are you stuck there where you can just be a recipient? Or are you going to go deeper? I want you to meditate on that for a little while. Um, well, John brings his thoughts before we prepare our hearts for communion, but investigate God's image in you. What does he put in you? What is he calling out in you? How are you going to hold up that mantle of discipleship? And may his peace be with you.